0: Welcome to the Word Encounter, episode 256, where today we will be starting and hopefully concluding our journey through the book of James. Let's talk about James here. It says, first of all, uh, James that this is referring to, there are a number of people in the Bible referred to as James, but it's presumed that this is actually Jesus' brother, James. And that's uh, presumed for a lot of reasons, but uh, I think with good confidence we can assume that this James is in fact Jesus' brother. <clears throat> now, While Jesus was alive and walking the face of the earth, James actually did not follow him. He did not follow him until after his resurrection. And that's when he became a disciple, which is interesting. you know. Jesus says that uh, essentially a prophet isn't recognized or isn't honored in his own hometown, that he finds more honor elsewhere than he does in his own hometown. We can say that's certainly probably the case for inside of families as well. And so then we see here that... um, This was probably written around A.D. 49, somewhere in that vicinity. Uh, As such, it's probably the first gospel book that was actually written. I find that to be very interesting. Uh, um, Yeah, first New Testament book, not just gospel. The first New Testament book uh, that was probably written. Now, why was it written? Uh, It was written to confront hypocritical practices and to teach right Christian behavior. So apparently a lot of the, the new converts uh, were not living according to what was being preached. And so they were being hypocrites. And, and James uh, found this to be very offensive. And so we find in the book of James a book that is somewhat in your face with regard to uh, what is uh, communicating, how it's being communicated, and so on and so forth. To whom is it written? It's written to the Jewish Christians, um, probably in Gentile areas near Palestine. And and so we find here that his audience is probably Jewish because of some of the references that are being made to Old Testament scripture and and whatnot. And so that's probably the target market, if you will. And uh, with that, that's pretty much where we're coming from with regard to the book of James. And so let us get started. Let's drop down to verse two where it says trials and maturity. It says, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. There's that word endurance again. We find here in these latter books here uh, that endurance is a a critical feature because, see, we can get worn out. We can get worn out in our well-doing. We can just get tired. And so endurance becomes a very critical thing for all of us. You know, to stick to uh, it that we can see things, uh, see things through, that we become excellent finishers and not just starters. In verse four, it says, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may uh, be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So here we see that probably endurance is a critical attribute to lacking nothing, to getting to a place where we lack nothing. We're going to have to persevere and demonstrate endurance. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him uh, ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Wow, this is a big one. This is what I have to fight. I have to fight doubt and unbelief on a consistent basis. And honestly, I can't tell you that I always win. But it says the doubter is like the surging sea, tossed to and fro by the wind, flip-flopping essentially. See? When we ask in faith, we have to ask in faith without doubting. Without doubting meaning uh, means that we have a knowing with regard to the outcome or what it is that we're asking for that we do not doubt that what we're asking for shall come to pass that's a tough ask but that's what the word says verse 7 that person should not expect to receive anything from the lord the doubter it's talking about should not expect to receive anything from the lord it also says being double-minded and unstable in all his ways in other words if we're experiencing doubt Doubt, faith, doubt, faith, doubt, faith. The word says that we're double-minded and we're unstable in all our ways. See, if we're being tossed back and forth, then we're unstable. Not only in that what what uh, in which we're asking for, but it says in all our ways. Oh. Verse 12, blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, um, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Blessed is those. Blessed are those. Blessed is the one who endures. Endures what? Endures trials. Endures obstacles. Endures hardships. Because when uh, when he has stood the test, when he has passed the test, then the word says he will receive a crown of life that God has promised to those who love him for he has persevered. He has endured. Each person is tempted when he is drawn away from each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. We all have these maniacal and evil desires. You see, it says everybody is tested in this way. Everybody is tempted in this way. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Then after the desire is conceived, I I believe it should say, then if the desire is conceived, see, because you're tempted doesn't mean you have to give in to the temptation. But if you do, then that desire has been conceived. And if that desire is conceived, then it gives birth to sin. And sin leads to what? When it's fully grown it leads to death. Remember, the word says that Jesus was tempted in every way that we've been tempted, yet without sin. He was tempted, but he didn't succumb. Hearing and doing the word in verse 19. Dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone uh, should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness doesn't say just anger, it says human uh, anger. There's, there's such a thing as righteous indignation. There's such a thing as having a, a righteous anger. But this one says in verse twenty, for human anger, you know, that anger that comes out of our soulish nature does not accomplish God's righteousness. When you are in a state of anger, typically what that means is you can't think straight. And when you can't think straight, that's when you're subject to doing things and being a tool of the enemy. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. See, so it says humbly receive the word, but that's not all. In verse 22, it says this, but be doers, not just hearers, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. In other words, all you do is hear and receive the word and nod your head, but you don't do anything with it or about it. He says, you're deceiving yourself because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in the mirror for he looks at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. (laughs) But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetter, not excuse me, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. Now, we are not saved through works. We can't earn our salvation. We can't work our way into salvation. We can only become saved through grace and mercy and faith. That's the only way through you know through our confession of who Jesus is that's how we get us uh, saved through faith not works however in the kingdom of god there are various positions <laughs> just like in a kingdom on the earth there are various positions in the kingdom of god there are various positions and your stature your position in the kingdom of god is in large part determined by what you do with the word of god see so we get into the kingdom of god by faith but we get our assignment from God in the kingdom through works. Works what? Works how? Works based on faith. Because the word is going to say that faith without works is dead. In other words, if, if there are no works that, that are coming from faith, then one has to question whether one is really in faith or not. Because the, the, the supposition is that you cannot be in faith without accompanying works. It's impossible. Because faith produces works. <clears throat> anyway, verse twenty-six. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, this is important. If anyone thinks he is religious or spiritual or, or righteous without contr- uh, without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless, and he deceives himself. Let's see, <laughs> let's go on. I won't comment. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this: to look after orphans and widows in the distress and their distress, and to keep oneself uh, unstained from the world. So it says, pure righteousness, pure spirituality. See, pure, undefiled spirituality before God the Father is this: to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained from the world, to keep oneself pure from the world's evils is essentially what it's saying. <clears throat> Let's, we're going to get into, into controlling this tongue thing uh, a little bit later in some degree of detail. Yeah. Sin, the sin of uh, favoritism. Oh, in chapter two, My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in. If you look with favor on the one uh, wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place. And yet you say to the poor person, stand over there or sit here on the floor by my footstool. in verse four, it says, haven't you made distinctions among yourself? And become judges with evil thoughts. And and so uh, James is saying, look, if you do this, and sometimes you can do it subconsciously, if you do this, you're playing favorites. So you're looking at the person with resources and then the person with nothing, and you're benefiting, advantaging the person with the resources. Maybe you're thinking that they can do more for the congregation than this and the other. And so you show them more honor than you show this other person. You're playing favorites. It says in verse five, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, Didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Good question. Yes, he did. It said in verse six, yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? In other words, he's saying, just look at at, at the behavior that is typical of the rich. This is not all the rich, but it can be typical It says, Don't they try to take you for everything they have, uh, everything you have? Don't they pull you in your court when, when they think that you've wronged them and want to sue you? It says in verse nine, if you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors for whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. Now, <sighs> We're saved by faith, not by works. We're saved by faith, not by the law. So why is James bringing up the law here? I believe what James is saying here is like, look, if you are, are, are committing, regardless of your righteous action, and whatnot, if you are committing sin of favoritism by, by uh, judging or, and rating people based on their resources, he's saying you essentially might as well be guilty of everything. And so he's, he's trying to elevate the importance of not showing favoritism. You know this isn't a minor thing. This is a major thing. <clears throat> In verse 12, he says, "Speak and act to those, uh, speak, and, speak and act as those hard who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over justice. Or excuse me, mercy <laughs> triumphs over judgment. <laughs> For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. If you don't show mercy to people, then your portion is judgment. Since you don't show mercy, then James is saying the Lord isn't going to show you mercy and you are going to be judged. And in judgment, then everything that you have done uh, wrong, everything that you have sinned in, is going to be held against you. See, as opposed to through mercy and grace, where we are forgiven through the blood of Jesus and our slates are wiped clean, James is essentially saying that's not going to be the case if you don't show mercy, faith and works. It says in verse 14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save them? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs. What good is it? If you well wish, say, okay, go take care of yourself. God bless you. (laughs) But you don't do anything to help them meet their needs. James is saying, what good is that? What kind of faith is that? In the same way, in the same, excuse me, in the same way, faith, if it does not have works is dead by itself. See, the proposition here is that uh, you're not you don't really have faith if it doesn't produce works. You might call it something else, but it can't be faith. Faith can't be alone. Faith has to manifest works essentially is what James is saying. But if someone would say, if you have faith and I have works, show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, my works will testify to my faith. You can't, if if you don't have any works, you can't, nothing's going to point to your faith. If you don't have works, you just have beliefs. You don't have faith. (laughs) Verse 20, senseless person, you are willing to learn that faith without works is useless, or are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac, his son on the altar? you see that faith is active uh, together with his works and by works faith was made complete. See? So by works, faith was made complete. Faith is, 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 is the thing, excuse me, works is the thing that seals faith works is the evidence of faith. Verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Chapter three, controlling the tongue. Now, here we go. (laughs) Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. So in the Jewish culture, being a teacher or rabbi was of high you know, high prestige. And so when people converted into Christianity, they wanted to become teachers, but James is saying, don't you know that teachers are going to receive a stricter judgment? That this isn't just a title thing? Uh, you know, they, because they, if they're teaching the word, then the, then the, uh, their, their responsibility to the word is greater than those who are just hearing. And so they're gonna be judged more strictly. <clears throat> For we will stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, He is mature, able also to control the whole body. So it says we stumble in many ways, but if anybody doesn't stumble in his ways, then he is mature. He's a mature person, Uh, also able to control his his whole body. Let's keep going. It says in verse three, now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And so via the mouth, you can direct the whole body of a horse. Just via the mouth in verse four and consider ships, though very large and driven uh, by fierce winds. They are guided by a very small rudder whenever the will of the pilot directs, wherever the will of the uh, pilot directs. So via the rudder on a big, huge, huge ship, that's how you guide the ship. But the rudder is very, very tiny compared to the rest of the ship. Verse five. So, too. Though the tongue is a very small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large force, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, he calls the tongue a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. Our, our tongue, very small member, is placed among the, our other body parts, but it's very small compared to the rest of the body parts. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire. That's what it can do and itself or excuse and is uh, itself set on fire by hell. So James is saying that the hell manifests through the tongue, even though the tongue is a very small part of the body. The tongue can lead the body wherever it wants to go and it is set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and is, and has been tamed by humankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Wow. <laughs> For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If evil is in the heart. It will manifest through the mouth. And then from the mouth it will direct the body with the tongue. We bless the Lord. We bless our Lord and father. And with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. So we bless and curse out of our mouth. It says blessing and curse and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be. <laughs> Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? He said, this is double minded. We, we, we can't be blessing and cursing from the same mouth. These things should not be wisdom from above verse 14. If you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Which wisdom does not come down from above. Um, oh, such such wisdom does not come about. Um, such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly unspiritual demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, ambition there is disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure then peace-loving gentle compliant full of mercy and good fruits unwavering without pretense. Can we say amen to that? Chapter 4. It says the proud and the humble. It says you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. So that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Wow, this is huge. A lot of times prayer isn't an answered and people become disgruntled with prayer, angry with God, and whatnot because they're asking things out of wrong motivation. See? And he's identifying a wrong motivation so that you may gratify yourself, so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. It says in verse four, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? In other words, he's equating friendship with the world being uh, you uh, trying to indulge or asking for things to indulge your own pleasures. He's saying that's friendship with the world. So whoever wants to be uh, the friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? Intensely. In other words, when there are things that supplant God in our minds, in our desires, when we want things that supersede God, that, that makes his, his, his jealous nature uh, swell up. See? He, he doesn't want competition from you, from within you. Verse 7 Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Our will and God's will. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city, and spend a year there, and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And so what James is saying here is you're you're taking your days for granted. You know, you're going to make these plans and whatnot, just assuming that you're going to get tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. He says in verse 15, instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. In other words, you are to acknowledge in your plan making, you are to acknowledge in your thought processes that okay, I'm not promised tomorrow, but if the Lord wills, then this is what we will do. This a, you're acknowledging God's presence, you're, you're acknowledging uh, that what you think may happen may not happen. You're acknowledging, acknowledging that he is in control of things, not you. And let's go on to chapter five. And it says, warning to the rich says, you have stored up treasure in the last day. Oh, let me, let me go back to here first. In Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 through 21, it says, uh, Jesus is saying, this He's saying, "Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth." He also goes on to say, "But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven." And he ends with, "For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." And then we see in chapter five in James here, James is accusing the rich, you have stored up treasures in your last days. He says, look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cries out and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of armies. In other words, he's saying, look, you rich folks, you have cheated people out of their wages, you know, and this has become noticed by the Lord. It says, you have lived luxuriously on earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. So essentially, James is saying, look, this is what the Lord is going to have against you because you have mixed up your priorities. And This is a warning. Essentially, he's saying, look, correct this. Correct this behavior warning for, uh, warn, excuse me, waiting for the Lord it says in verse seven, therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. He goes on to describe how a farmer is patient when he's producing things from the earth. He says, be patient. Don't be, uh, don't be uh, anxious. Be patient. He says, you know, don't complain about one another either. You know, so he's, he's addressing some issues that are existing in this congregation. In verse 11, he says, we count as blessed those who have endured. Again, we see this thing with endurance. It says, you have heard of of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. So they said, you've read about, you've heard about Job and all that he went through. But read the end of the story to see how the Lord blessed him. Because the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Truthful, uh, truthful speech in verse 12, he says, above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes mean yes and your no mean no so that you won't fall under judgment. In other words, there's no reason to 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 uh, there's no reason to to elevate the importance of what you say you're going to do. There's no reason to emphasize you know what you say, you know, I swear by God that if you do this, I will do that. Or I swear by God, you know, if you, if you loan me this $10, I'll give you $15 back next week. He's saying, no, 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 there's no reason to do that. Let your simple yes mean yes. And your no mean no. If you have to go through all that, then that means that you're not a very honorable person. That means that you're not a very trustworthy person. See? So Increase your honesty and integrity, your character, and let your yes mean yes and your no mean no, plain and simple. Effective prayer in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. The prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. The prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Does this necessarily mean that this person will be cured? It doesn't say that. It says the prayer of faith will save the sick person. Now, this could mean the prayer of faith will save the sick person and the sick person, meaning the person who is without Christ. Therefore, they are sick. So the prayer of faith will save that person and the Lord will raise him up. See, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Does this mean an ill person, a physically ill person, or does this mean a spiritually ill person? Verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person is very powerful in its effect. So this is indicating that if you're a righteous person, your prayers are even going to be more um, powerful, more potent than the prayer of a person who has doubt and unbelief or is weak or shaky in their faith. And with that, we are finished with the book of James. Tomorrow we'll pick up 1 Peter and um, as we're marching our way through the last part of the New Testament. Jesus sends out a proposition ongoing, consistently, never stopping. It says, At any point in time, if one comes to a knowledge of me and believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth that I, Jesus, am the Son of God, and I am the way, the truth, and the light, then the word says that you will not be put to shame and that you shall be saved. That is a promise from God. The word also says that God is not a man that he should lie. And so if that's a promise, and if he doesn't lie, then that means that it's truth and that you will have everlasting life. With that, we are done. Everybody stay safe, be blessed, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, and should he grant us with another day of life, we'll see you for the next Word Encounter adventure. Bye-bye.